0: Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week we gather on the traditional, ancestral and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. And our New Testament reading comes from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Jesus appears to seven disciples. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he sh- showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana on uh, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came into the boat, came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire, fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them, And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, on this glorious day, we give you thanks and praise for uh, the wonder of your word, uh, for the gift of the sure and certain knowledge that you are the God who desires to be known uh, by us, to us, and through us. And so we pray that you would help us to hear you well this morning, that you would open our hearts to your stirring, to your comfort, to your conviction, that you would conform our thoughts uh, to the pattern of your love. We pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds that they'd be acceptable in your sight. And we pray in the name of Jesus our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I I just love the 21st chapter of the gospel according to St. John. It, it might be my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And I know we're probably not supposed to pick favorites, but I, I think that's it. And there there are all kinds of reasons to love this post-resurrection story, but the reason I love it is I don't think it should be there at all. Uh, let's just remember what, what came before this. Jesus has shown up to Mary and then to the rest of the disciples, except for Thomas, and he's proclaimed peace to them. He's commissioned them with a gospel mission, as the Father sent me, so I send you. He's blown the Holy Spirit all over them, empowering for the ta- them for the task. And then the next week he shows up again for Thomas's sake, Uh, but also I think maybe to remind the disciples of of this new resurrection reality that they're caught up in. Because a week after the resurrection, they're still in this locked room, uh, the same place, doors locked again. It seems as if they they didn't exactly get to the work of going as Jesus was sent. And then John writes this right at the end of chapter 20, just before what, what we just heard. He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are written in this book, but these are, which are not written in this book rather, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And isn't that just a lovely ending to a gospel? Doesn't that tie up everything just perfectly? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then John's like, no, but wait, <laughs> there's more. Now, now, scholars will tell us that the 21st chapter of John is probably a later edition, and that's a, that's a reasonable uh, possibility. But the fact is that it's, it's here. Uh, and there's no attempt, there has been no attempt to kind of iron out the narrative flow, to clean up the details, In the long history of copying down the gospel for the next generation, no one seems ever to have thought that it might be the right thing to rearrange things so it flows a little better. And I think that is all grace, because I think this is just how it happens. You know, as often as not, this is exactly how things go for those of us caught up in the good news of Jesus. Now some people hear Jesus call and experience the glory of his resurrection and are utterly holy and now and forever transformed. That does happen every once in a while. The the Damascus Road experiences are real. But for most of us, we're more like these first disciples. Most of us are more like Peter than like Paul, if we're honest. It seems to me exactly right that, that Peter, having experienced Jesus, who was dead, now alive, having heard Jesus' gracious, world-inverting word of peace, having received Jesus' gospel commission, and having felt the intimacy and power of the Holy Spirit, that after all of that, he would decide to go fishing. Now, may, may, maybe it would be hard to believe that he, that could be his response if it weren't so blessedly familiar. You know, uh, of course, there's nothing specifically wrong with fishing. I've never quite understood doing it for fun, but there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I'm sure many good and faithful people have uh, been excellent fisher folk. The problem is that Peter decides that even though Jesus has changed everything, he's going to go back to what he knows. I think that's what's happening here. You know, there's lots of evidence that Peter can be a little bit thick. You know, he's not always the swiftest. In an academic competition, he's going to get a participant ribbon. But I think that in this moment, he's thinking pretty clearly. I think here he's on the ball. I think Peter knows that the resurrection changes everything. That the resurrection means that who and how Jesus is, is who and how God is for this world. That the the topsy-turvy kingdom that he proclaimed is how things will be. That his once-dead body is the seal on that promise and not even death can keep God's will from taking shape in the world. I think he knows that the resurrection means that what we thought was power and glory is not power and glory at all. That the way things are is not the way they really are. I think he knows that the resurrection means that God has begun to make the world new, that the day when every tear will be wiped away and every hungry belly will be filled, when the first are last and the last are first, when love and justice and righteousness are the order of the day, that that day is on its way. I think he knows that the resurrection means that we who would have life, not just believe in Jesus, but have life in his name, are commissioned to bear witness with everything we've got, our heart, soul, mind, strength, and our stuff, to a new world order, a resurrection world order. We're we're meant to be the answer to that prayer that we sing every week, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, which means God's way in our lives, come what may, just like Jesus, we're sent as he was sent, This is the the breathless reality into which Jesus has called Peter and his friends. No wonder they go fishing instead. (laughs) Because Peter knows how to fish. He's a fisherman. That's what he was doing the first time that Jesus showed up. It's what he would have done for the rest of his life if Jesus had not called him to drop his nets and follow. You know, for Peter, fishing is everything back to normal. Peter fishing is a world order in a way that he understands. He knows how to navigate the world as a fisherman. Now, out on the water with the nets in his hand and the smell of salt air and the wind in his face, he's more or less in control. Now of course there are things out of his control. Sometimes the fish don't come and sometimes the weather's bad. But he knows what to do in those situations. You know, Peter, fishing is a world in which even the surprises are more or less expected. And I think that Peter knows that Jesus has called him into something totally unexpected. I think that when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, that the disciples, for all the things that they don't understand, do understand that he is sending them out as witnesses that God is going to get the world God wants starting now and that that is the end of our carefully ordered world as we know it and faced with that fishing seems like a good idea now i want to state the obvious you know the problem isn't that they'd go fishing it's not that peter couldn't have lived a christ-shaped life in and among the fishing community of capernaum Uh, the problem is not fishing the problem is that that is not what jesus called them to do Jesus didn't commission them to try and fit their faith into the world that they already understood. He called them to bear witness to something altogether new. You now, it reminds me a bit of the old pastor who said that if the devil can't get you to do bad things, he'll get you to do almost good things. I'm not. I'm not sure that there's anything particularly diabolical going on here for Peter and the others, but I also don't think that we tend to need much temptation to default to what's comfortable, what we can control, what's pretty close to good. You know, like Peter, I think most people, certainly I, am inclined towards the path of least resistance. But Jesus calls us to something else. He calls us to join him in forging new paths, new possibilities in impossible places. He calls us not to improvement, but to repentance, not to do a bit better, but to rethink everything, conforming everything to his pattern of love and then to live in that newness, right? That's what repentance means, not just feeling badly for our sins, but renewal and transformation of our hearts and minds. Too often, I think we're, we're, we're encouraged to believe that Christian faith is not much more than a chosen accessory to the rest of our lives. You know, a, a bit of spiritual embellishment on what we're already doing. It's fine for us to celebrate Easter as a kind of vague hope for the future or perhaps an analogy about the perseverance of the human spirit, but that's not Easter's claim. And it's going to cause problems if we go around insisting on what Easter's claim is, that the resurrection signals a radically new order of things that is good news for the poor, where captives of all kinds are set free, where grace and mercy are ultimate, and where... Justice flows like a mighty river and a crucified Jew sits on the throne of the universe. And it's going to be problematic (laughs) if it turns out that we're willing to give everything to see that new world order come to life among us. In other words, if we'll be sent as he is sent. Now, I think think Peter and the boys go fishing because they know what's up. They know what's at stake. But my favorite part of the story, where I'm going to hang my hope, is when Peter realizes that Jesus isn't going to let him get away with having anything less than a resurrection life. Now, I love I love this moment when when John or the beloved disciple says, "Hey, man, <laughs> I think that's Jesus," and Peter takes complete leave of his senses and goes barreling into the water in this like, moment of pure joy. It's pure exhilaration. It's, it's just a little bit embarrassing, frankly, to see a grown man so overcome. I mean, you can imagine him sputtering and splashing around like a fool coming breathlessly onto the beach just to be with Jesus. And I can't help but think that in that, in that moment when he finally arrives in Jesus' company that there's a bit of relief for Peter that Jesus didn't let him get away with it. Right? I mean, sure, he knows how to fish, but except for the miracle, it would have been a long and fruitless night. The fish weren't coming. I have to imagine that at some point, as the nets kept coming up empty, that, that Peter must have had this kind of sinking feeling that maybe there really was more than this. And maybe he'd even wondered if he'd missed a chance to do what Jesus seemed to think he could do. I can't help but imagine that as the sun came up on that new day that that Peter began to wonder if he'd let Jesus down again. Because that would explain the unbridled joy, the ridiculous excitement when Jesus turns up on the beach, when Jesus chases him down one more time and says, no, 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 no. We're going to go do something different. And this is all Grace. I think this story is here to remind us that that Jesus is, is relentless in coming after us, in wanting more for us than we would ask or imagine. I think John wants to help us pay attention to the places in our own lives where we have chosen what is comfortable and more or less in our control instead of something more, instead of what Jesus is calling us to. Now, I feel like Peter is a reminder for the church that that we're not meant to be a community of the vaguely improved uh, or the somewhat nicer, but a community of transformation. We are a people who claim the name of the one who is making all things new. We are sent as he was sent to bear witness to the resurrection will and way of God, not somewhere, someday, but here and now. I think we see in this story the difference between believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the King after God's own heart, God's anointed one in the world, God with us, the difference between believing that good and true stuff and having life in his name. I don't think Peter doubts who Jesus is. I think Peter doubts who Peter is. And it takes Jesus' relentless grace to help him know it to know who he really is. It takes him, Jesus chasing him down again for him to finally trust that that resurrection life really is for him. He needs Jesus to come after him again. And mercifully, that's what he gets. And it's probably worth paying attention to the fact that it's it's not a perfectly comfortable situation, Peter and Jesus on the beach. And actually, it, it gets a little less comfortable after what we read, frankly. You know, when Jesus recommissions his delinquent disciple, there's this moment of tension. Right? When, when Jesus asks Peter if he loves him three times, it's this kind of lovely reversal of Peter's three-time denial of Jesus. It's a redemptive moment, I think. But John also tells us that, that Peter felt hurt. And, and I think that uncomfortable space is kind of necessary. I'm pretty sure it's the preacher Will Williman who who says that the good news of the resurrection and reign of Jesus is only really good news for the dissatisfied, (laughs) for the uncomfortable. Though if it wasn't Will who said it, I mean, it could have been anyone who's paying attention. The way of Jesus is always a disruptive reality on this side of things. It's always going to be awkward until God gets what God wants. If what we really want is a religion that will help us keep things in good order, the way of Jesus isn't going to do us much good. And I don't mean to suggest that, that Jesus would have us devolve into anarchy or anything, but, but he calls us to this consistent, relentless, uh, unrelenting witness in whatever we're doing that because he lives and reigns, the world is different. If the core proclamation of the church is that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar, not Apple or Amazon, not democratic capitalism or the free market, not our families or our work, or whatever other shiny idol might seduce us, if he is Lord, that means we are free. If he is Lord, that means that we are free to live in his will and way and no other, the way of love and justice and righteousness in everything we do and come what may. And I think that when we come face to face with that call to live freely and fully in everything we do, there are bound to be some uncomfortable moments when we recognize that we have chosen not to do so, right? We have chosen otherwise. We have settled for less We have not loved God, we have not loved our neighbors, we have not loved ourselves with our whole heart. We've said that we love Jesus, but we haven't done what he sends us to do, to feed the sheep, to be salt in a sin-bland world, to be light for eyes gone dim to God's glory and goodness, to be beacons of God's grace and mercy and redemption and renewal and restoration. And like Peter, we may find it painful to have that pointed out. But like Peter, I think that space of discomfort uh, or dissatisfaction, maybe even of pain, is also the place where God's transforming grace will meet us. That's where we're most able to hear the invitation in a fresh way. And we have a tendency to kind of avoid those uncomfortable spaces because that's easier, but Jesus wants us to see them for what they are, just opportunities to repent, to reorient, to start again. So I want to invite you, maybe today, it's a beautiful day to sit outside perhaps and ponder the scriptures. (laughs) Maybe over the course of the next week, I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to spend some time in this passage and risk asking if there's something in your life that might well be a fine thing, but that is actually a convenient distraction from what Jesus is calling you to. Now, that, that will be different from each of us, but risk asking what your fishing is, that comfortable thing that you're clinging to or that you're going back to because you know how to do it. I mean, you might be, for instance, using very sound reason to avoid forgiveness, or or the idol of safety to avoid holy risk, or fear of causing a stir to avoid some holy mischief. You know, let the Spirit show you that, and then be bold to repent, because we are free. And we get to. And then my prayer for us all, my prayer for us all is that we would experience joy like Peter, the kind of thrill that might be a little bit embarrassing. I would love for you to have an experience of the joy of Jesus that you would be just a little bit embarrassed to tell anybody about because it's so good. You now, I pray that that as we recognize that Jesus won't leave us alone, that we'd be overcome with the joy of that fact, that we are not a disappointment to him. But he'll keep coming after us, keep calling us, keep sending us, keep inviting us into the life that is truly life, life caught up in resurrection wonder, life in Jesus' world-changing and beautiful name, the name of the one who is making all things, even us, new. So God, give us grace and guts. Amen.